The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The title of tonight's Bible study is Death, Demons, and Division. And the reason this is significant is because Jesus will give you power over death. He will give you power over demons, and he will also bring unity instead of division into your life. Well, let's go ahead and begin in in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 38. I'm going to go ahead and read down through verse 42. In my Bible, verse 42 is in the next section, but I'm going to reach down and grab it, and and we won't won't cover it the next next week, but uh, we'll finish out the chapter. And John said to him, this is John uh, the Beloved, uh, whose gospel Pastor Daniel's going through on the weekends. John said to him, teacher, rabbi, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him. Apparently, they were not successful because he was not following us. He was not a part of our group. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty or powerful work in my name will soon be able to, uh, afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of cold cold water to drink, because you belong to me, notice the association there, will by no means lose his reward. And as I just explained a minute ago, we're going to reach down and grab verse 42 as well tonight in our Bible study. Whoever causes one of these little ones, when you see the word little one there, oftentimes we think of a child, but it can also mean a young believer. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great or giant millstone uh, were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You know, Bible teachers tell us that when you look at Mark's gospel, and I believe we've addressed this before, that there are three times that Jesus tells his disciples that I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed uh, over to my enemies. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. It's interesting that if you, if you, if you look carefully, the three times in Mark's gospel that he does this, immediately after one of the three disciples that were closest to him, Peter, James, and John, is mentioned. After Jesus first speaks of his future suffering, Peter challenges him. And this really is is what's going on here. Uh, The word rebuke is kind of strong, but some would use the word to describe what Peter does to Jesus. So after the first time Jesus speaks of his future suffering, in Mark chapter 8, verse 32, and he said, to, this plain, he said to, this, to them plainly, that is, he told his disciples with clarity. It wasn't, in a pro, it wasn't in a proverb. It wasn't in a parable. But he clearly communicated to the disciples that he, of all that he was about to experience. And it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, to correct him. This isn't going to happen. What you're saying cannot happen. It won't happen. And one of the things, if you, if you watch Peter closely, it's almost as if he's saying, I won't allow this to happen. Tonight, we have John, the second disciple, in verse 38, reporting, reporting to, to him that Jesus, uh, that he and others attempted to stop a man from casting out demons. Can you imagine the story? That as they were out and about, they noticed an individual, uh, we don't have his name, who was, who was successfully casting demons out of those who were oppressed. John's complaint was that the man was an outsider. He wasn't, he wasn't a part of the group. He wasn't, if you will think about this, he wasn't authorized by Jesus or by the disciples. It kind of tells us a little bit about John's attitude there. 
But wasn't he, what wasn't he authorized to do? He wasn't authorized to set demonized people free in Jesus' name. Looking, looking into the future in our series of Bible studies, the third and final mention is in Mark chapter 10, verse 37. We'll get to it soon enough, won't we? When this time it's the two brothers, James and John, they asked to, to be given the highest position in Jesus' question, uh, in Jesus' kingdom. Again, verse 37. They come to him. Uh, I believe that they're uh, uh, encouraged by their mother. Uh, and they say, grant us to sit or take a position of authority, one at your right hand and one on your left, in your glory or in your kingdom or when you ascend to your throne. It's important for us to see that in each case, Jesus realigns his inner circle's thinking, very much corrects, even, even draws them into a deeper understanding that what they're saying can't take place. In our passage tonight, we see Jesus' approval of a lone exorcist, contrasted with John's restrictive attitude. So not only is all this going on, I think that there's an important principle found in verse 40. When Jesus tells his disciples, for the one who is not against us is with us. For the individual, the person, the ministry, the expression of ministry that is not against us is automatically for us. They're aligned with us. And I think the important principle that we, that we, I know that many of you do understand is that this world is spiritually, spiritually, it's a battlefield. I, I, think, I think that those times that I, that I lower my, my guard in anticipation of the things that go on around me, not realizing that there is a war going on right now in the spiritual realm. There is continually, 24 hours a day, Seven days a week, 365 days a year, there is a war going on. And I would submit to, to you that even as you pray or as you worship or as you study the Bible or the Lord reveals something to you and you give your heart to it and you obey it, that it affects, it impacts the war that's going on around us. Daniel chapter 10, as he was praying, 21 days after he started praying, an angel appears to him. And reveals to him at the very moment that he started praying that he was dispatched from heaven. My friends, my friends, when you pray, when you obey, when you press into the things of the Spirit, it affects this battle. Two kingdoms are at war, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Now, I'm about to be blunt. People either serve Jesus or they serve Satan. There's no Switzerland in the matter. People all, whether they realize it or not, are either in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. Even though the man in our story wasn't wearing a Team Jesus t-shirt, his opposition of Satan in Jesus' name associates him with Christ. I mentioned that the disciples didn't understand you know, sometimes I feel, I, I feel like the story of this, this young mother who was sick. She had a, a virus, and she, was, she slept for days. And uh, one, 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 one day she wakes up, and she's, she's starting to get her senses about her, and she's obviously laying in bed, and kind of looks in the direction of the window to see what time of the day it is. And, 
She really wasn't aware what's going on, and she's, she's like kind of coming to her senses. There's clarity coming to her, and she looks in the doorway, and she sees her little girl, her small little girl, and she focuses in on her. She realizes she's holding a hot or a warm beverage, and she said, that's my cup. She has my cup. The little girl makes her way around to the side of mom's bed and holds up the cup and says, Mom, I know you don't feel good, so I made some of your tea for you. Oh, the mom is no longer aware of her illness. She's now thinking, how did my little girl make hot tea for me? And my favorite hot tea, she could smell. She could, the fragrance filled the room. And so the, she said to her, her daughter, and she's kind of thinking through the process, right? She goes, honey, how did you make the tea? She goes, oh, mommy, I watch you make it all the time. I went and got the, the pot that you, that you use, and I, I put water in it, and I carefully, carefully, knowing that her mom would be concerned, I put it on the stove, and I turned on the stove, and then when the steam was coming up, I turned it off, and I measured out the tea the way you do, and the mom's kind of doing the mental gymnastics, yes, yes, yes. And the little girl says, and then, and then I put the tea into the water and I watched the clock for five minutes. And the mom's going, yes. And she's going, oh, my daughter is amazing. And she goes, and then I, I, poured, I poured the tea through the strainer and, and, and here's the tea for you because I know you didn't feel well. And then the mom all of a sudden taps the brakes. She says to herself, wait a minute. She can't reach the strainer. So she goes, you know, honey... I see what you've done, and, and thank you so much, but you can't, you can't reach the strainer. I, I put that up too high. I know you can't reach it. Biggest smile you can ever imagine comes across the little girl's face when she says, Oh, Mommy, that's okay. I use the fly swatter. <laughs> you know, sometimes... Yes. <laughs> sometimes... We, like the disciples, even when we think we're doing the right thing, Jesus gently comes alongside of us and corrects us. As a matter of fact, if you've had that experience, I know in five minutes some of you go, oh, I get it, but listen. If you've had the experience where it's come to light that maybe you're doing something that's great, but it's not being done in the Spirit, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus told the disciples, you know not what spirit that you're of, Jesus comes alongside of us and he aligns us, he adjusts us so that we can do things in his spirit. And you know, if you look at each of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, when they have these interactions with Jesus post his referencing, his death, burial, and resurrection, the thing that, the thing that was interesting to me is that they felt... They felt comfortable. They felt like the relationship with Jesus was strong enough for them to come and be honest with him, even though he would correct them. It is my prayer tonight that you will feel honest. So I'm going to give you an overview of our Bible study tonight. And by the way, we are going to observe communion at the conclusion. So first we have John's report in, John, in Mark uh, 9, 38. John's report. John comes to Jesus to tell him what's going on. And then secondly, we have Jesus' response. This is in your notes. He responds to John in verses 39 through 42. I want you to see that the report itself excludes the man. 
the man who's casting out demons in Jesus' name. Have mental note there. The report excludes the man. The response includes the man. The report closes the door, locks it, and, and, and keeps the man out. And yet Jesus' response comes and opens the door wide so that the man can come in. The report is an us-versus-them mentality. And my friends... This is a great challenge for the church today. To resist, to resist there being an us versus them mentality in the church. But that is the report. That's John's report. The response, the response does everything to point John and the disciples to the fruit of the man's efforts. Jesus would say, yes, he's not in our group, but look at the fruit Look what's coming from his efforts in helping people. You and I understand that tonight the church may divide over mode of baptism. You go to some churches and they'll bring an infant and they'll, they'll you know, sprinkle water on its head. And for them, that's a, a mode or a way of baptism. I've gone into, when I was a youth pastor, I went into homes sometimes where an ailing grandparent was on the verge of dying and we would, we would sprinkle water on their head after they gave their lives to Christ. There were other times students would come late at night and we'd, we'd find a jacuzzi and, and a friend that they had led to the Lord, we would baptize them in the jacuzzi. I always appreciated when they had a chance to warm up. Different kinds of baptism. Listen, but Christians with convictions biblical and church history from church history embrace different kinds of baptisms we don't do everything the same there are different views on communion historically we're probably i will say i am probably very relaxed on communion very casual to some other churches and uh, that are a little more formal or traditional or, or their view of the elements we're going to take communion tonight and so their view of what the bread represents symbolically and, and the juice or the wine, depending on what kind of church you go to. There are different views. But listen, Christians, Christians with different views. And there are different churches or groups regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, every Christian would agree with the scriptures that the Spirit, the Spirit gives to the church gifts and enablings in order for the church to grow and mature. Our time together reminds us that Jesus is greater than any of our differences. That none of these things, none of these things is important and, and, and these convictions that we might hold very strongly, none of these things can divide us. Because Jesus is greater. Remember, he opens the door. He doesn't close it. He includes. He doesn't exclude. And although we would respectfully have a discussion about some of these things, it should never, ever keep us apart or divide us. His presence will clearly be seen in how we love or care for each other. On the, uh, on the screen, you'll see a, a quote by uh, Pastor Albert Tate where he says, diversity is not an opportunity to fight or to argue. It's an invitation to celebrate. Let's go ahead and get into this first verse. And again, it's John's report. John has been away from Jesus, apparently with some of the other disciples. They've seen something. And, and, and a part of the thinking here is that we're connected to Jesus. We have a special relationship to Jesus. And there, that's not, it's not wrong. It's true. 
And because we have this relationship with Jesus, we can tell this man to stop. That's kind of the idea behind this. I'm going to read the verse again, again, verse 38. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Their churches were separated and were by just a handful of miles. Grace Community Church is pastored by John MacArthur. Church on the Way at the time was pastored by Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford has passed away. Both men came to their congregations in the same year, 1969. Over the years, the churches grew numerically. And within their association of churches or denominations, they not only grew numerically, they also grew in great influence. Church on the Way is a four-square church known for its Pentecostal roots, theology, and practice. If you don't know about Calvary Chapel, our roots are in Pentecostalism or in the four-square church. Pastor Chuck was, was raised in, in, in the four-square church and pastored four-square churches prior to coming to Calvary Chapel. And so, so that's kind of the church on the way, their, their background in, in theology and practice. Grace Community Church would be considered a reformed in, church in theology. It is non-denominational. Pastor John would say that miraculous signs ended with the passing of the last apostle, that they passed with the completion of the scriptures. No revelatory gifts for today. However, Pastor Jack embraced the charismatic experience. Two very different pastors with different convictions. Yet, however, over the years, they maintained a close friendship, despite their differences. Even though they taught differently and preached differently and held to uh, differences on secondary issues, they maintained a very, very close relationship. As a matter of fact, I heard John MacArthur say recently, within the last couple of months, that when his wife was in an accident and that her neck was broken, that Pastor Jack Hafer came to the hospital to pray for her, and yet he would never forget that, and he had great appreciation for that. There's a quote from a 1991 Los Angeles Times article where John MacArthur says, I have a lot of respect for charismatics who love Christ. Jack, Jack Hayford, and I have a lot in common. Periodically, we get together and talk about ministry, agreeing to disagree. Agreeing because we love each other. Because we love each other, because we love Jesus, we maintain unity. Because we care for each other and have each other's backs, we will do whatever it takes to keep the lines of communication open, even though theologically and in practice we have differences of opinion. In our passage tonight, we see Jesus correct His, his apostle John, what John considered a problem, Jesus declares as being good, even beneficial. You see, the problem in John's mind is that somebody outside of their group was exhibiting power over demons. To, to John, this was unbelievable. To John, this was unacceptable. 
Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, it was those who he had sent out who demonstrated such power. John would have been okay if one of the 12 was exercising power over demons, setting people free from bondage, oppression, and healing them. But because this person's name wasn't on the list, because this person didn't go to our seminary or to our Bible college, wasn't a part of our group, didn't use our favorite version of the Bible, John opposed him. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 6, it says, Jesus sent out the disciples, his followers, and they cast out many demons. And so the idea that the disciples could do this was accepted. And we know that this was, a prop, prop, this was the plan from the beginning. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. But now there's, Mark tells us, someone else doing the ministry that the disciples had been doing. Somebody else was doing what only Jesus' followers had previously done. I think the great, the great goal in any ministry, whether it's platform ministry with worship or in the pulpit or on some, some place in the church, the great desire is that after you there would come somebody to replace you. That, 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 that even though you've experienced the sweetness of being used by God, you would have in your mind like the Apostle Paul, a Timothy or a Silas who would carry on the ministry after you're gone. We call it passing the baton, right? you familiar with the race where that critical instance in the race is where one runner, while in full stride, passes the baton on to the next runner who will run the next leg of the race. You understand that concept. But do we understand that it's God's heart that we, that we, do the ministry, but also have the mindset that we're going to give this to somebody else so that they can carry on what God has given to us. It's a unique individual who can do this. And, and one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons I think this is so vital is because I love the church so much that I want the church to continue to go on and to experience, uh, continue to experience ministry even in my absence. Somebody might say, Danny, do we ever oppose others? Uh, it's not my personality. You got to know that this guy up here, he didn't want, he didn't want confrontation for nothing. I mean, apart from uh, not getting my senior citizen discount, I'm going to pretty much lay low, if you know what I mean. I mean, in the early days, they would, you know, can I see your driver's license? Well, those days are long gone. They, they look at me and they go, yeah, he's over the age for sure. Matter of fact, he's so far over the age, we'll give this young guy a senior citizen discount too. Do we ever oppose others? Scripturally, I believe there is a time and a place, but we don't look for it. We don't volunteer for it. It comes to us. Galatians chapter 2, let me read to you a couple of verses. And obviously this is Paul writing to the, to the churches in the region of Galatia, where he says in verse 11, but when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, and the idea is that he's in Antioch, and up in Jerusalem, the church, the Jewish church is happening, and James, Jesus' brother, is overseeing the church, and they would from time go out and visit the churches to see how they're doing. So Peter was at Antioch. It was, it was a church that, that was less Jewish and, and more a mixture of Gentile and Jew. There was a, a special sensitivity to the blending of these, of these two groups. And he says, for before certain men came from James, that is, came down to be with us, he was eating or having meals with the Gentiles. You, you remember the vision when he's on Simon the Tanner's rooftop. You remember the vision that came down three times. Remember that God told him to, to take and to eat, and that was symbolic of the fact that God was about to open the doors as Peter would go to Cornelius' house, that he would preach. And as he was preaching, the Spirit would be poured out, and they would prophesy and speak in other tongues. And you know that as he was preaching and he's witnessing this outpouring of the Spirit amongst the Gentiles, something that was beyond his comprehension, that his mind went back to the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem in the temple. And God poured out his Spirit upon the Jews. Why? Because what man tries to close and to lock out, God opens the door so that all can experience the ministry of the Spirit. But when they came, that is the men from James, the Jewish leaders in the church from Jerusalem, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. It's a Jewish group that emphasized the fact that all should be circumcised in order to be Christians. If you, um, the, there's a council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 that deals with this. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. That is, along with Cephas, following his example, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I want you in this verse to see something beyond a, a, a John MacArthur and a, a Jack Hayford laying aside their differences and having a sandwich for lunch, talking doctrine. Paul confronts Peter because of hypocrisy. His position, Peter's position in the church, gave him platform, gave him visibility. He was one of the twelve. He was with Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He preached and the Spirit was poured out. He preached and thousands came to Christ. And now he comes to our church. And for a period of time, he is mixing with Gentiles. He is eating with them. In the Easter mind, to have a burrito with somebody was to fellowship with them, was to be one with them. I said to have a burrito didn't mean I'm going to share my burrito with you. But you have your burrito, I have my burrito, we'll share the salsa. But that's about as far as it goes. And while this beautiful, beautiful thing of individuals who out in the culture were separated and kept apart within the church, the miracle was because of Jesus they were brought together. When I started tonight, I referenced the platform, I referenced the generations represented in the worship team. This is the work of God in our midst. Peter's sin influenced others. They followed his example because, why well, he's one of the twelve. Not only did he have platform, his sin was public. So Paul confronts him in front of others. 
But it's more than him confronting a man. Paul is confronting sin in the church. He didn't attack Peter's character. He wasn't trying to win an argument or grow an online following. He desired that wounded Gentile believers that grasp, understand a grace-filled gospel. One more thing on this. If you and I ever come to the point where we must confront, we must check our pride at the door. Humility is the way. We're to ask God to temper our voice and our emotions. Again, Galatians chapter 6, where Paul says, Brothers, if, any, if anyone is caught in a transgression or a sin, you who are spiritual should restore should heal him in a spirit of gentleness, all the while keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. A little, one more thing about Jesus' response, because that's what we're going to look at next. But before we do, I want you to think about two things. The man John opposed, and it wasn't just John by himself, it was other, uh, the other disciples and apostles, the one that he opposed, I want you to think about this. The man's efforts liberated people who were oppressed by evil, and there are many. There, there are many in our day now, maybe even some of you, are under spiritual attack. I, I reference the fact that all around us all the time is this battle, and sometimes that battle spills over into our lives. And sometimes it spills over into our lives and we lose power over sin. My friends, the gospel is, is that Jesus gives us power over the, gives us victory over the power of sin and the penalty of sin. But sometimes the thoughts, the ideas, the, the unconfessed sin, the unforgiveness, sometimes it festers and, and, and the enemy whispers into our minds, into our heads, and we experience oppression because of the attack. Other times it can be physical. Not, not everything. Not everything is, is, is a result of spiritual warfare. Not all the thoughts that we have. Some are maybe, some may not. Not, all, not everything physically. But this man, this man, his, his ministry ex expand, extended Jesus' ministry. Secondly, we see that he trusted in Jesus. Why? Because, it, because John says it. He's doing this in your name. He's not doing it in his own name. He's doing it in Jesus' name meaning that he didn't simply add Jesus to the end of a prayer. You know, when we pray and we say in Jesus' name, what we're saying is that everything within the content of that prayer is an expression of who Jesus' character is and his nature is. And, and let me say one more thing. And it's kneels at the will of God. We don't tell God what to do. We state our request and we ask that it be done according to his will. This man trusted in Jesus' power and authority. On the screen, you'll see a quote by John Piper before we move on to Jesus' response. Where John Piper says the name of Jesus goes hand in hand with the fame of Jesus. This ministry brought glory to God, never to a man or to a ministry. On the screen, you'll see Jesus' response. And this is Jesus' response to John and Jesus' response to us tonight. Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against me, us, again the disciples, is for us. 
For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of cold water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And lastly, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble. And again, the idea here is a young believer who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if he were, if a giant great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now John would have been surprised by Jesus' response. But it was important for John to hear Jesus' words. My ministry is bigger than your ministry, John. My ministry is to go to the nations. My ministry is not to only use you, John. My ministry is to use every believer, every person who trusts in me. That is why we are given the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if you have two individuals with the very same gift, oh, my friends, it's going to look very different through each individual. I think sometimes, especially in prayer meetings, we don't pray because we can't pray like other people pray with their eloquence and quoting scripture and in the Latin and the Greek and the Hebrew. And I'm not minimizing that, but we almost feel like I can't pray because I can't pray like them. And Jesus would say, no, I want you to pray the way you pray. I want you to use your terminology, your vernacular, your words. And maybe you lead worship. And you watch those who are leading us in worship and you think to yourself, I don't do it the way they do it. And Jesus would say, that's awesome. Do it the way you do it. In verse 39, Jesus says, do not stop him. Do not in any way hinder or oppose him. And then he goes on to say, for no one can do a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. The man's opposition of Satan meant that he to some degree understood the reality of the, spiritual val- uh, of the spiritual battle that was going on around him. This man had insight. And we don't know if, if he watched Jesus at a distance. We don't know if he himself had experienced a demonic uh, uh, oppression and that Jesus set him free. All of that we don't know. All we know is that he's nameless and that in Jesus' name he set people free. And Jesus sanctions him in spite of his disciples' efforts to stop him. This man gave his allegiance to Jesus. He would not or could not speak evil of Christ because he loved Christ. He was on mission for Christ. He advanced the kingdom of Christ. He did damage to the influence of evil. And Jesus says of the man that he is for us. He is with us. Do not stop him. John misspoke, not knowing that the man's loyalty to Jesus was evident in the results of his ministry. The beauty of the anonymous man's life is that people in spiritual bondage were set free to God's glory. There's a word I hear from time to time, and it's tribalism. It's that we have our tribe, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, that there's expressions of the church, and so there's different tribes, there's, there's different emphasis, there's different um, convictions about the scriptures and about mission. Nothing wrong with that. However, when our tribes will not worship together or fellowship together, then we divide the body of Christ. 
On the screen, you'll see a quote, unity is a decision to love others despite our differences. In verse 41, Jesus promises future reward for those who give the smallest gesture of kindness, the meeting of a most basic need, thirst. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose reward. Do you see that? Do you see how this is available to everyone? Do you see that Jesus has just opened the door to every single person on the planet who follows him? If you can give a cold cup of water, maybe not even too cold, if you can give the most basic, basic meeting the need of another person, you will be rewarded. Danny, I'm not in for it for reward. I understand that. He wants to reward you. It's his heart's desire to recognize and to reward you. In the minds of Jesus' hearers, to receive a representative of another was to receive the one who sent him. And I think that's the principle here. That when you go out and do anything, even if nobody sees it, actually almost better if nobody sees it, God sees it, and he will reward what you do when you give. When you give, when you support, when you pray, he sees. And Jesus tells us tonight it will be rewarded. This leads us to the last uh, severe warning in verse 42 regarding causing a little one to, that believes in Jesus to sin. Josephus, the historian, records a rebellion against Rome by a group of Jews in the Galilee. And the Jews from time to time would, would, would pull together and they would rebel against Rome. That was what they believed God wanted them to do. Gamaliel references the leader of this insurrection in Acts chapter 5, verse 37. And this is the wisdom of the teacher of Israel. We're almost done. And he's telling the Sanhedrin to, to leave the disciples alone, to not bother with them anymore. He says, if this isn't of God, they, like so many that have come before them, will dissipate and go by the wayside. He says, but if they are from God, there's nothing you can do to stop them. And, and he references in verse 37, again, Acts 5, after him, Judas the Galilean, that's the revolt I just was talking about, rose up in the days of the senses, and drew away some people, uh, some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And the reason I bring that up is because there was victory initially. The Galileans had victory over the Romans, and you can only imagine powerful Rome being beat by this small group, uh, you know, of, of, of guerrilla warfare. And they took some of the Romans, and they took them out into the Sea of the Galilee on their boats, and they tied stones, heavy stones around there, and they dropped them over. So then Jesus' terminology in the minds of the disciples would have had special meaning and significance. But he's talking about judgment. Remember I said there's a battle going on by the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, good and evil, and Jesus is saying those who perpetuate evil against a, a, a young believer, God will judge them. Now, certainly you need to understand that I believe no one should harm a child in any way. I get uncomfortable when I sometimes am in public and hear a, a child being disciplined kind of loudly or, you know, at least in my humble opinion, you know, and Danny has an opinion. You need to know that. But 
But Jesus is saying, be careful, especially what you do to a young believer. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.